One of the best racing days is coming up for Saratoga. It's Whitney Day. And there's no better way to play than with Naira Bets. New customers to Naira Bets are eligible for a $200 deposit match bonus when they use the code Rewind. Terms and conditions do apply. Just go on over to Naira Bets to sign up or use the Naira Bets app. Welcome to episode 45 of Redboard Rewind. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. Today my special guest is tournament fanatic Sean Alvarez. We decided to go over three races from Del Mar's Saturday card. Those races were 1, 7, and 10. And some angles we talked about are one of the most overhyped angles in the game is Maximum Security, the top older horse in the classic division. And Lone Speed can be a dangerous attribute for a turf horse. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, the man who is always playing every contest possible, Sean Alvarez. Sean, how are you doing today? Hey, Spencer, I'm doing well. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. You have been one who I've been waiting to get on. And of course, as me and PTF so solemnly do, if it's a West, if it's a West Coast type of a weekend, we seem to always get the same person. So happy to have you on his show and happy to have you back on this show to kind of recap some stuff now. Uh, for the people who don't know, uh, kind of tell us what your process is when you're first going through a race. Yeah, so I I kind of got started into the game by um, you know I mean there there was a there was a specific race where somebody had told me you know this horse is going to the lead and if he gets the lead he should win and you know the four or five times I've been to the track before that from the most part from what I can remember every horse that went to the front and not only did they not win but they didn't even I mean they didn't even run well so I thought. I mean, my initial thought was this person's crazy. I'm going to bet against this horse. And, of course, the horse wins by about, you know, 15, 20 lengths. It wound up being game on dude in the 2013 Pacific Classic. Um, but I, I, I just kind of turned to him and said, you know, teach me everything you know. And as corny as it sounds, you know, he basically taught me the phrase pace makes the race. And, you know, he taught me that, you know, some of the best horses can get beat if they're a deep closer and there's no speed in the race. And, you know, vice versa, you know, some of the best sprinters can – can lose if there's a ton of speed balls in the race. So that's kind of where I, I start with my handicapping. I want to understand, you know, the pace of the race, who is going to be out on the front, but who also like who needs the lead, you know, cause those, that's when you kind of really see the jockeys kind of hustle up front and get into those speed duels. And if that is the case, you know, who's going to benefit from that. And if that's not the case, and there's only one, you know, that 10, 15 to one might be value as, you know, it's going to get an easy lead. So that's kind of where I start with, with pace and obviously, you know, that's, that's only, you know, lifting up the hood as I, as I dive deeper, you know, I'm, I, I try to, I try to kind of be a sponge, you know, in, um, in group settings that, you know, there's so many handicappers out there that I've learned from that are so much more, you know, have so much more experience and have so much more knowledge than I do on the game. So I really just kind of sit back and listen to them. And, you know, of the many times that, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to hang out with guys like James Henry you know, and Duke Matisse and, um, uh, you know, PTF and JK, 
you know, you start hearing different angles and, and different things and some sticks and some, you know, some don't. Um, but, you know, when you can put those type of angles into your own handicapping, whether it be, you know, first, you know, first time turf for specific sire or, you know, cutback angles, when you can, when you can get stuff like that from some of the top guys, and, and that comes even from, you know, podcasts like yourself and, you know, the rest of the In The Money um, media podcasts, you know, when you're listening to guys like Matt Bernier, JK, and PTF, and yourself and all the, you know, all the guests that you have on as well, I mean, there's different little nuances of handicapping that you can grab onto that you don't have to just create yourself. And so that's that's kind of where, I, where I've been. So I've, I'm kind of more pace. Um, I love the time figure um, speed ratings. That's kind of where... I start um, and go from there. And then, you know, obviously as you start to learn different circuits, you start to learn trainers that, um, you know, are pointing towards specific races and specific styles and obviously, um, you know, jockeys as well that, you know, run better in specific type of races. So, you know, I hate to say there's not really a, a small answer for you. I just, I've been trying to learn as much as I can. You know, I just, I saw my first horse race in 2013. So, you know, I'm behind the eight ball. So I'm just trying to absorb as much knowledge as I can from, you know, the friendly people that I've been in contact with. We For the last few weeks and even like the last five, 10 guests, I've always heard, you know, trip handicapping, pace makes the race. But this is something that me and you talked about privately in a phone conversation a couple of days ago, how when we're watching jockeys at certain tracks, uh, a la Naira on the turf, everyone just seems to clamp on the brakes and it feels like it just, you can throw the pace ratings right out the window. So for someone like me, especially with watching Naira, pace to me isn't sometimes the biggest thing. When you're watching out on the West Coast, I'm sure you have certain jockeys that you just know, hey, this guy's on a speedball, he's going to go. What are some type of uh, jockey angles you like to look for with pace? Um, I mean, you know, Edwin Maldonado is basically a quarter horse jockey, and that's not a knock on him. That's more of a, um, you know, it's more of his praise. He gets horses out of the gate better than almost anybody, especially out here on the West Coast. Um, so that's that's someone you can kind of move up a couple, you know, early pace figures if it's first time Edwin. Um, but then on the same light, you have someone like Flavian Pratt who can get people who can get his horses out of the gate well. But for some reason, this is kind of something I've always been you know chatting with frank scatoni on about for some reason even if he gets a horse that needs the lead he gets them to settle and relax and he very rarely gets his horses into speed duels that's you know that's another thing you, you like kind of like to look look at but um you know with jockey on the west coast it's a little bit easier you know obviously we're a little bit we run our races a little bit quicker up front early um so you don't have to worry about it too much um but you kind of um alluded to it earlier with you know trip noting and um, charting your races, we're trying to figure out jockey's intent. And I think that that's a big thing, you know, that the trip note pros um, that are doing um, right now is is they're really going, not necessarily on the trip that the horse had, because everybody sees that. We see that in the charting notes, but they're really going off of like jockey's intent, you know, how comfortable the horse was in the race. And I feel like if you can kind of make mental notes of that and put, um, but notes of that, even in, I, I use DRF formula, so it's very easy to save those notes. If you can put notes in there, you know, that can give you an angle, um, uh, you know, moving forward in, in, the, uh, in the later races. There was a race yesterday. I love Tammy's window at eight to one at Flavian Road, and he had a horrendous trip and basically just wrapped him up. Um, so you can look at that race kind of going back and charting where, you know, yeah, he ran the, you know, went from, fifth to last in the last furlong but 
you know, Flavian wasn't going to push him through a hole that was, that just didn't exist and just kind of wrapped up the horse and saved, saved the horse for the next day. And while that was the right thing to do, I think that's something that you can kind of lean on going forward, knowing that Flavian's probably not going to get that horse into trouble the next time out. Let's talk about angles. Let's talk about what one of your favorite angles is, and let's talk about an angle that as you were learning the game, someone's like, yeah, this angle is amazing, and that you have come to find out is not as amazing as they think it is. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really knock too many angles. I will say that the angle that I like the most is, is usually just first off the claim. I know it's very basic, but if you, I, and I kind of just even throw out numbers, you can kind of tell how, you know, a trainer can improve a horse off of a, another specific trainer. You know, I think that there's a lot to be said with that. You know, if you get a first time Michael McCarthy, that's been running, you know, at Gulfstream on the dirt with a trainer that doesn't really run on the turf and now he's entered on the turf, you know, Michael McCarthy knows turf horses, you, you know, um, uh, you know, he, he knows where to put them. He knows uh, what races they're going to excel at. And, you know, maybe the previous trainer just, you know, was scared to throw them on the, on the turf. Um, so there's just certain little angles like that, that I'll look on with first off the claim. And, um, you know, I, I don't, like I said, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to knock angles. Um, I just think first-time gelding is a little overrated, especially a lot of the dates are incorrect. Um, mm-hmm. So it, that's one I, I wouldn't say is a bad angle by any means. It's just not necessarily an angle. It was one that I tried to use and quickly got rid of it as it became more of a headache than um, a reward. First-time gelding wasn't one that I was thinking of, but that is – I tend to agree with you. I think a very overplayed angle. Everyone sees a horse that might be taking a little bit mo- bit of money, and they're like, "Oh, first time gelding, gotta run to the windows and bet this one." I do love first off the claim, you know, especially with those, you know, good type of claiming trainers. Like, there's certain trainers at each track where some are the superstars, allowance and stakes, and then they're just the low, you know, they they start off claiming horses and they just continue to do it well. Uh, Robertino Diodoro, probably one that comes to mind for me, like out at Oaklawn. I love seeing him first off the claim, especially uh, interesting stats. Like if he has Orlando Mojica on, it's a positive ROI. If he has uh, Cohen on, it's a lower, it's it's a not a $2 ROI, but it's a higher winning percentage. So it's stuff like that. I love the claiming races. I know a lot of people tend to like stakes and allowances more, but I've always been more of a maiden and claiming type handicapper what about you sean what are some of your favorite races to uh handicap uh, i mean they're all good they all have a little story to tell you know the lower level claiming races for me are ones that i try to stay away from because it always just seems like no matter what the circuit is they, those horses just don't like the pass of their horses so it's mm-hmm. almost like a like a crapshoot on trying to figure out who's gonna who's gonna go to the lead and that's probably your winner because a lot of these horses just don't pass down the lane um that's really the only kind of class ranks that i don't like to to handicap uh to answer your question i just i just love to handicap i love the game i love um the the puzzle of it you know you you can run you know whether it's an, an algorithm that you're running whether it's w- looking through the pps wh- however your process however your, whatever your process looks like um to handicap races you know in two minutes you know if you're if you were right or wrong Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's a fun game, you know, and, and sitting down with the PPs and going over the pace and, and trying to come up with selections to me, that's the exciting part of the game. Um, I love going to the track, but there's, there's just nothing better than, you know, going over the PPs the night before in the morning of, um, so to answer your question, I, I just, I like to handicap them all. <laughs> you being, uh, 
a contest player, established contest player, how many races do you think you're handicapping in a week for the multitude of contests you're trying to get into or feed into? How many how, how many races a week? Yeah. Um, I'll break it down to a day. I usually do three cards a day. So if, that, if there's eight to ten races in the card, we'll round that up to nine. So I do, what, 27 races a day if, if that's the case. Um, but really my handicapping starts at night. So I'm charting races. Um, that's where, you know – I feel like I cut a lot of time out in the long run down the road um, with the notes that are already in there when I'm charting races. So I, I try to chart races Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. Um, and I usually do uh, two days for two circuits. So I'll do four race cards a night. Um, if, if I find the time and, you know, luckily this isn't my full-time job, so I, I'm not, I'm not held to a specific standard. And, you know, if I'm tired, I go to bed for me. I remember playing Derby Wars, playing the dollar contest, winning my first contest, was so excited. It was at Woodbine. It was a maiden race. The horse didn't even win. He ran second, got me enough points to win. Uh, I know you've qualified for NHC. Would you say that that was like your high note of a contest player so far was qualifying for NHC? Yeah, I mean, just going to the NHC is great. Um, I would recommend if you're kind of getting serious into the contest world and you want to, to qualify for the NHC and and do it i would um even if you don't qualify i would go for at least a day to understand what's going on it is it's intense um when you walk in especially this year this you know last year was my um rookie year so i had never even seen the nhc ballroom slash contest room before so i know that this was their first year of having everybody in one contest room in the last few years so it was it was pretty overwhelming so i would definitely recommend that and kind of to pivot back on that that uh that i qualified through the uh, little red feather cares aftercare um contest at del mar and that was one whirlwind of a day man i'll tell you i mean, think back on it now i mean it's even it's even hard to, to to remember kind of all the races and i'm one of those guys that i can you know leave the track and i can i can remember kind of the whole day but it was it was such a whirlwind of a day um i yeah, I, I mean, going up to make my last bet and then to have it come in, um, and and see see the see the NHC, see, you know, get get the phone call and you know an hour later asking me, you know, making sure that I'm uh, I've got an NHC you know member number. That yeah, that was that was pretty exciting. That would definitely be what I would hang my hat on currently. Yeah. Let's uh let's get started here. We got three races from last weekend at Del Mar. It was a fun day of racing. Obviously, maximum security coming back in the San Diego. Uh, let's start by uh, going over. It was the first race at Del Mar. It was a 50K maiden special weight going one mile on the turf. What were your thoughts going into this one, Sean? So I, one, one thing I do in maiden races, there's not a lot of info to go on. So I kind of look at, um, you know, previous form of the, of the horses that have ran before. Um, and what I do is I try to find if, if, if that horse runs back to that race, are they going to be tough to beat? And that, you know, that's, always something i kind of lean on especially in these races when you when you have some horses who you know have no form that you're just going off of workouts and pedigree and um you know anything else you can dig up so as i kind of went down the form there wasn't a lot that i loved um you know the, the best speed figure came out of the four in jest at a 40 you know running on the dirt previously um kind of went out the lead and backed up uh, there wasn't a whole lot that I loved there. The only other one that I liked a little bit was the eight, um, Dino Might. So, you know, the horse settled, you know, 
back after the stumble, rallied well, which is kind of the style that um, Kent Solomon was going to run with, uh, even on the turf. So that's kind of where I started there. Um, and then, you know, I started diving a little bit deeper with, you know, can I give any, any horses an excuse? Um, so, you know, I immediately went to the one and, and, you know, through a process of elimination through that race and um, jockey, trainer, I, you know, I chucked that one out and I, I landed on the two and that's where one of my top picks um, was the two gone rogue out of the damn blacker barn. I mean, it was at a nice six to one in the morning line, but the key that I, that I saw was, you know, this horse ran on the low Sal um, dirt course, which is kind of a, for a particular track, even though the, the, the actual dirt is the same. I, I feel like it's a little bit deeper than normal. And it's also, I mean, I, I know that TVG says it all the time. It's the longest stretch run in North America. I mean, it feels like the wire's never going to come. So um, I kind of give that one an excuse and just toss that one out. The horses run as bread for the, uh, for the turf. It felt like they should enjoy the turf. And then you go, no knock against Aza, you know, uh, Espinosa, but now you get um, Umberto Rispoli. I, I just felt like that was one that needed to be included. And then the, the very next one down, I just kind of talked about Michael McCarthy and, and turf horses. One sire that I really like is Candy Rise. They, I feel like they, they're kind of like an Uncle Mo. They can run on anything. They can mm-hmm. run on dirt. They can run on turf. They can run on synthetic. They can go short. They can go long. But the thing is, is that you don't see a lot of Candy Rides outside of the Craig Lewis barn. This is a twirling Candy Sire out of Candy Rides. So you kind of still get that form. Um, and Michael McCarthy doesn't necessarily push his horses in the morning. You see a lot of 48-1, 48-2s in the work, and then you get Juan Hernandez. Um, I'm big on this on this jockey. I think that this that Juan's going to do what Abel Cedillo did last year coming down from Golden Gate. We're going to get prices. We're going to get value from this uh, rider. He's aggressive. He's a strong rider. He's a good finisher, and he understands kind of pace and flow of the race. Um, so that's kind of where I landed on my first two picks. Um, and the only other one that I threw in to my uh, early pick five was the seven uh, Flint Stroll uh, coming out of the Rudolph Brissett barn, going into Phil Diamato. You get Abel Cedillo, uh, um, you know, obviously Deshaun Parker is great back East, but um, you know, I tend to be a little bit biased out here. I like Abel. I feel what I like about Phil is when his horses are ready to run, they tend to run a slow work. And right off that claim, you see that 50 and two. And so that kind of triggered me to say, hey, this, you know, this horse is, uh, this horse is ready to roll, um, should improve a little bit better. That last work was not, um, I'm sorry, not the last work. The last race wasn't something to kind of, you know, scoff at, was way behind early, did a little bit of running um, later. I felt like should improve second off. Um, and then, after I kind of came up with my A's and B's of the, of the race, I went to kind of the horses that I wanted to play against. And my play against were the five big Docker, the six Kazan and the eight dynamite. Um, with the five big talker, I'm just not thrilled with first time starters with Mike Smith. A lot of the, I, I, I don't have any knocks on them. But a lot, of the jo- a lot of the trainers out here, when you get a first-time starter with Mike Smith, it almost seems like it's a prep race, that Mike's taking them out for future, um, for future races. It never really seems like Mike's really interested in getting them in the race. It, sometimes they're good enough, um, but on, on short-price first-time starters, 
I kind of tend to take a stand against them. And that goes right in line with the six Kazan out of the Richard Mandela barn. You see a lot of slow works um, while Richard Mandela doesn't, you know, get them cranked up early in the morning and you don't see those giant works in the morning. There wasn't a lot that I loved in that. Um, you get Flavian Pratt. So I kind of figured the horse was going to be over bet. Um, and I believe the horse wound up going off as a favorite. Um, and then, and then going down, um, this was kind of more of a personal play. Uh, I believe this was Kent's first ride back to Southern California since he went up to Northern California. I could be wrong on that. I just kind of wanted to see one from Kent, see, you know, um, how he was riding back. I know that he wasn't, you know, um, he wasn't uh, winning a ton of races up north. Uh, you know, he's still a Hall of Fame rider, but that was kind of another one I wanted to wait and see on. So that's kind of how I landed with the race. For, for me overall in Maidens, it's kind of a tale of two cities. You look at the horses with experience. You see if they match up to the buyer par, what horses have ran previously. If they don't, you look at the firsters. Obviously, no one in this race really matched up on the buyer par, which was a 68 in this race. So now look at the first-time starters. Uh, Ron Bauer, out of twirling candy, candy ride, 18%. Michael McCarthy, just with first-time starters, to me, it's just not somewhere I wanted to go, even though you were getting a great price in the morning line at 12-1. to 1. And seeing all those fast workouts, you would think that almost this horse, even with the bad trainer set, might take some money. Because I feel like people look at workouts as more of a betting proponent compared to the, the trainer stats. So I ended up going with uh, the six Flavian Pratt and Warfront. Cause you know, for me, I just love, first of all, Flavian Pratt, probably the best rider out there right now. Uh, Abel might give him a run for his money, but Flavian Pratt inside and out just always seems to be the, the best rider out there. 340,000 for a Warfront, probably not as much as people would think but everyone knows how much the war fronts like to run on the grass. There's not really much else. You'd kind of go on over every other uh, runner in here. Number six, uh, Kassan was my pick in the daily gallop tournament. Talk about it from a wagering standpoint. I know you talked about your pick five. What, what else were you looking through for this race, Sean? Um, that was, that was kind of all I played. Um, I'm not much of a vertical type better. I like the, the doubles, the pick threes, the pick fours, the pick fives. And, you know, if I'm feeling, feeling a little weird the pick six um but you know i'm not necessarily a vertical player i think it's hard enough i find it hard enough trying to pick out who's going to win let alone who's going to come in second or third um but for me if i'm going to play something like that i'm going to play you know i'd probably play my top picks which were the two and the three over kind of i wouldn't say necessarily everybody else i would probably toss out the five and the six just because those were kind of heavy play against um and i might have added the eight just because the uh you know, the horse should do a little bit better, has the kind of the most experience out of the race um, outside of the four. So that's kind of what I would lean on. But I, I really I really kind of lean towards the um, horizontal wagers. And with this horizontal wager, you know, I this is I'm not even I, I just I just uh, kind of alluded to the um, being a sponge on the wall. And the first time I met uh, J.K., he harped maybe, I mean, I'm probably over-exaggerated, but probably 10 times, you know, ticket structure. If you're going to spend hours handicapping the card, spend at least half that, you know, going over your ticket structure. You know, all these people that go over their picks and then run up to the window and are just kind of slapping in a ticket is not, you know, is not good wagering. Um, so for me, I was, I was completely against the five and the six, and I was willing to take a stand against the eight. So I started the pick five with uh, – you know, a two, three, seven, um, try to get skinny there. 
on my opinions. And if my opinion is right, then I'm going to get paid. And if my opinion's not, then, you know, you live to fight another day rather than trying to throw in, you know, a $200 pick five and just because you're scared of a couple horses. Couldn't agree with you more. Who Now, you were also in the Daily Gallup head-to-head contest. Who was your top pick in this race? My top pick was the three, which became interesting because um, the grid wasn't out yet by the time the, the race went off. I was playing Robin Kentucky, which, I, I mean, that's basically just a Twitter handle. Um, and he sent me a direct message right after the race went off. says, hey, since the grid's not out, who did you have in the first race? Um, because I didn't hit the board. And my exact answer to him was, you don't want to know, because it was the three who won at 16 to 1. <laughs> Let's watch the first from Delmar, where Rombauer takes down this maiden special weight. They're off. Ingest started the best, and Dynamite on the outside is also flashing some early speed. Then it's Falcon's Fury toward the inside. Flint Stroll, Kaysan, and Gone Rogue all lined up. Two and a half lengths from the front. Rombauer, second last early big talker as the trailer is Ingest, leads the way to that first turn. Ingest gets away now to a length and a half lead. Dynamite tucks in behind, sits in second. Falcon's Fury is third to a 23.75 opening quarter mile. Then it's Flint Stroll fourth on the outside, three lengths off the lead. In behind them comes Gone Rogue as they enter the backstretch. Kaysan is back with five and a half lengths to make up, racing outside of Rombauer and Big Talker at the back of the field. The first-time starters are all at the back of the pack here as they continue up the backstretch within just the leader a half a length. Dynamite on the outside continues to run along in second. In, in behind them it's Flint Stroll, Falcon's Fury fourth on the inside, Gone Rogue is fifth, Kaysan sixth. Still five lengths to make up after a 49.61 half mile. Rombauer is seven lengths off the lead. Big Talker is the trader. They round the far turn. Dynamite runs right now up alongside of Ingest and pokes ahead in front. Break of another two to Flint Stroll in third. Quezon a wide fourth. Still four lengths to make up as Falcon's Fury cuts the corner. And they're into the stretch and it is Dynamite to catch. Ingest battles on from the rail, and then comes Flintstroll, followed by Kaysan, and on the far outside, Rombauer, and they're all coming down to the line, Dynamite, here comes Rombauer to run them down. And beat Dynamite on the wire, Flintstroll was third, and Kaysan finished fourth. Right now. And the number three, Rombauer, does take it down, paying 35-40. The buyer, a lowly 48, so still no one anywhere near the buyer par. This seems to me like a race, Sean, where as you go back and chart it, every single horse coming out of this race, including the winner, is just going to be a toss and move on in whatever spot they end up in, even if they drop in class almost. Yeah, you know, um, I wouldn't necessarily be as um, um, willing to toss the the winner of this race. You know, we're probably not going to get the same price. I mean, you never know where they're going to um, add this, you know, put this horse back in. But, you know, the horse was off a little bit, of, a little bit slow and then had – there was two moments in the stretch. There was one where he had to check out almost like three or four paths. And then when he did the, 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 the pace setter of the race who, you know, wound up finishing fifth and Jess actually came out and he had to steady again. And so, you know, this is the first time starting a little green. Um, I think this horse can actually improve off of this. Um, the only other one that, um, uh, that was interesting to me and, and again, this is not a knock on Kent Sormo. I, I, I really enjoy the guy. I think he's a top-notch rider. However, I don't think he does his best riding on the front end. And I thought that he moved a little early and kind of, you know, horses kind of get lost on the front end when they hit the lead. I feel like Kent does the same thing on his own riding. 
when he hits the lead early, he almost gets lost waiting for other people to come and invites other people in the race. And that might not be the case. That might just be my, my personal, you know, thoughts on, on, on the you know, visual aspect of the race. But I, I thought the three ran well, um, but you're right. I, you know, there wasn't a whole lot coming out of this race. I thought there was a lot of one paced um, horses in this race. Uh, there wasn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not rushing to the window to, to, to bet anybody back. I can, I can tell you that. Let's talk about the favorite running just off the board, Kassan. Even money, probably most of that was Flavian Pratt money. What are your thoughts on when trainers train the six furlongs and longer for the uh, for the mile and longer races on debut? Everyone always says how it's much harder to win on debut going long, but I've always tended to like when you see the, you know, not the normal four or five, but the six and the mile works. What are your thoughts on that going to a race? You know, I don't, I try not to put too much weight into it. I'm, I'm obviously not. Well, I say I'm not huge betting first time starters um, going long, but it, you know, obviously the three was a first time starter. Um, but you know, Richard Mandela is, he's vocal about, you know, this horse needs a race. Um, you know, horse is going to want more distance. I, I feel like Mandela, especially kind of just puts his horses more in the longer race. Cause he knows that's where they're going to get to. So you might as well just start them there. Um, I, you know, I, again, I'm not rushing to go back to the windows with this one. And, and you're right. You know, the horse probably got a lot of Flavian money, Flavian Pratt money. Um, but I also think when the horse goes off at even money and the first time starter trying, you know, distance first time and, and he did, you know, come on strong or not strong, but, you know, made up ground late. So, um, I do think there's upsides on, you know, on this one moving forward. Um, but you know, as far as six furlong workouts, um, I, I, I try not to put too much weight into it. I'm more looking into pedigree and, you know, can they get the distance? What kind of trip are they going to get? rather than trying to figure out, um, you know, what the, what the trainer's doing in the morning. With that, let's jump over to the next race. It was race number seven at Del Mar. It was another 50,000 made in special weight, this time only going five furlongs on the turf. Thoughts going into this race? You're on the first, or are you taking a horse with experience this time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was actually, I really liked the four um, absolute unit. I thought the four would be, kind of a shorter price, maybe even flip-flop with the five um, and the five kind of at three to one mystery man, again, out of Richard Mandela. Um, I thought the five was going to kind of float up and the four would, um, would drift down a little bit. Um, but my top pick was actually, actually the eight um, out of Phil D'Amato. Uh, we kind of spoke about this, you know, Phil doesn't have his horses cranked up early in the morning and you see three bullet drills, two of them from the gate. Um, the horse is coming off of the layoff, but Phil excels at, you know, bringing horses in off the layoff. You get Abel Sedillo. I really, I was really thinking, you know, the eight was going to be, um, the speed of the race and, and, and could be, could be tough to catch. I thought, I thought Phil, you know, made a point to put some speed into this horse in the morning. So after I had the four and the eight, um, my next, uh, choice was actually the 10, um, with Flavian Pratt out of the Keith Asormo barn. I always like when Keith Asormo goes to a different rider than, than Kent. Again, I'm not knocking Kent, but when your brother is a trainer and he goes out and gets the the top riding jockey in Southern California, I, I see that as, you know, this horse is really cranked and ready to go. And we just want, you know, the best chance we can get to win this race. And unfortunately the 10 wound up scratching. So that might be one that I'm looking to, you know, uh, play again, moving forward. 
Um, after that, I, there wasn't a, a lot that I loved in this race. I thought the two uh, 55 Chevy was going to take a lot of money, um, even coming off that 15 to one. Um, if you're not familiar with Luis Mendez, uh, you know, if you're not really following the Southern California circuit, you're probably not familiar with Luis Mendez. But Luis Mendez is actually a trainer that break, um, breaks horses in the morning, or not in the morning, but when they're, you know, a yearling, two years old and then looks to sell them to trainers who are, you know, moving on to bigger and better things. So you really only see one or two starts from a Luis Mendez-type trainer, and he has his horses cranked, in the, you know, to go. They fly out of the gates. And then, as I had alluded to previously with Edwin Maldonado and his kind of style out of the gate, I just thought a lot of Southern California um, uh, handicappers were going to, you know, zero win on that, on that horse. Um, so I was kind of playing against that one. I didn't think that one was going to take to um, the turf. So while, you know, you can run that bullet, I just didn't think there was going to be much there. Um, and again, as we had, as I'd um, spoken to with the five and the four, um, thinking they're going to flip-flop and odds, I didn't see much in the uh, the five mystery man out of the Mandela barn. Um, going five furlongs on the turf, I just thought that the horse is going to eventually want a little bit longer. The horse is already gone shorter uh, or uh, you know, a shorter sprint dif- distance going six and a half was closer up to the pace and then faded. And now, you know, we're going to go even, an even shorter distance. I get it. You know, that that race was out of um, Suzanne and uh, Ray Ray came back and won as well. So, you know, the hor- the race was live, but that was another one I was kind of playing against. Um, uh, it, there wasn't, there just wasn't much else that I, you know, could hang my hat on. The only other one that I saw that I kind of liked was the nine much more halo but how many chances are you going to give a bob baffert um maiden maiden horse out of short at short odds you know the horse is four to one you're probably going to get that baffert money so you know the horse is going to go down to three to one five to two you know the horse is making the se- seventh start you're, you're getting Drayden. you're still getting the great trainer but again how many how many starts is too many um before you uh you know toss that horse so i was playing against the nine as well so i didn't there wasn't a lot that I was leaning on, um, but I did think that I had the race covered. Even with the 10 scratched, I thought I had the race covered with 4-8. Talking about Bob Baffert, it's kind of the same way back east with Chad Brown, except like for the reverse. If you see Chad with a dirt starter, you're a little bit confused. Uh, Baffert keeping a horse on the turf for six starts and then predominantly being a dirt trainer, something I thought that was very interesting. Me and you ended up on the same horse in this race. I was also a fan of Absolute Unit. I've always liked the fact that when you have, like, w- within the jockey stands, you can break it down by surface or distance. And Umberto Raspoli has always kind of played second fiddle on the turf to Flavian. But when Flavian can't get it done two or three times on the turf, I like the fact that Pierre went out and got Raspoli. He's a guy who, obviously, coming from Europe, they can think differently and might have been able to uh, unlock the jigsaw to this type of horse. The numbers were not 100% there, 76, 71, 71. Whereas you have a horse like Mystery Man switching surfaces. So the 77 is kind of out of it uh, from the last dirt start. I usually don't look at it as, oh, it's a 77 on the dirt. He can improve it, that number on turf. To me, it's almost two separate columns of how a horse is doing on each surface. Overall, tough race, five furlongs. You're always trying to find a horse that shows some speed, uh, twirling the gold coming out of, uh, quarter horse races. What are your thoughts on when obviously when we had the restart and some horses were coming back 
from quarter horse races. Like when you see that, is it almost an auto toss when you see a horse that they had to put on a, in a quarter horse race or what exactly do you fathom with that type of move? I wouldn't necessarily say that it's an automatic toss. Um, the, the class of the race and the level of that class is going to um, dictate whether I kind of even think, you know, give that horse a second look. The other thing to keep in mind is, you know, yes, this was during the shutdown when Santa Anita necessarily wasn't running, but if you are going to go put your horse in a nighttime race at Los Alamitos and then come back in a maiden special weight at Del Mar, I mean, that's a drastically different um, level of competition. I, I mean, it, they're not even in the same ballpark. So, you know, I'm, I don't necessarily auto toss, you know, if this was a, $8,000 claim or, you know, a low level claiming race, it might actually make sense. Um, but in this, in this circumstance, you know, that was again, not an auto toss, but I didn't see anything I really liked in the, um, in the horse outside of the pedigree, but you know, we've already got two races to kind of go off of. So, um, that was kind of a toss for me going into it as well. For me, uh, mystery man, we talked about Mike Smith. I feel like Mike Smith, even for, you know, everyone says he's the greatest rider of all time, et cetera, et cetera. I still think that Mike, when he jumps on a horse is still overrated. I think also that he had already rode the horse once and the horse didn't even hit the board. I thought it was a little bit interesting to see him stay on the horse, even with the uh, switch to turf. Cause I don't think of Mike as a turf jockey. I think of him more as a dirt jockey. Uh, we had talked about the Batford horse, obviously from a betting perspective. And you said, I know you said you were going for eight. What did you pick in the head to head? In the head to head, I saw the value on the eight and that was my top pick of the day. Um, not of the day, but uh, of the race anyways. I just, I really, based on the, um, what the horse did in his first start, even coming off the layoff with those bullet drills, with Abel Cedillo, Phil Diomato, I mean, just everything just piling up. Um, I really just thought that this horse was going to be kind of dictating things on the front end, not necessarily having to, but would be in, in position kind of coming around the turn to strike if he was good enough. So that's where, that's where I landed. For me, I thought a nice jockey's change to Umberto Rispoli would help the number four absolute unit get it done. Let's see who wins the seventh here, if number four absolute unit can get it done for me, or if the eight Tilted Towers can get it done for Sean right now. They're off. Highly distorted, fast out of the gate, and so too twirling the gold on the inside. Mystery Man is up there with 55 Chevy coming through an opening at the rail, and after that comes absolute unit back there running in fifth. Then it is much more Halo, Candy Fury to the outside. Acting Cat is next by another two. Tilted Towers, El Chapin, and the trailer is Jack Sprout. 22.21, the opening quarter mile for Highly Distorted, who's rolling along here and opening up four and a half lengths on the far turn. 55 Chevy is second, twirling the gold. Mystery Man closing the gap on the far outside. Absolute Unit is right in behind horses, too. And much more halo to the outside. But they're still all well behind Highly Distorted, who comes bounding by the 16th pole with a four-length lead. Absolute Unit into second. Much more halo on the outside, closing late. But it's Highly Distorted to win it. And the number six, Highly Distorted, gets it done, paying 12.60 with a buyer of 81 it was that jockey from Golden Gate coming down again. Th thoughts on the race, Sean? I mean, this is kind of one that I was uh, that I was kicking myself about a little bit. Um, you know, I tried to get a little skinny on this. I thought the six ran a great race, um, and you know, <laughs> there was a there was a trip note floating around uh, floating around Twitter before this race even went off by our good friend Tyler Hoffman, who had this one 
absolutely pinpointed and uh i just i couldn't point for some reason i just didn't pull the trigger um i thought you know the six ran a great race and this again kind of goes back on to what you know this isn't just my idea this is you know um a lot of people from up at golden gate kind of have alluded to this Juan Hernandez. Is, i mean he's a, a strong rider he knows how to finish he knows how to keep his horses straight it looked like the horse almost wanted to lug out around the turn um and he straightened up not only straightened them up but kept going faster than everybody else um i thought the horse ran huge um the other one that kind of kicked me about it is i thought the nine ran pretty big um much more halo out of the bathroom barn after we both uh kind of dismissed the chances the four ran a, a decent race there just wasn't anybody that went with this horse's speed and this was what i thought was going to happen with the eight the eight tilted tower strip the eight didn't get out of the gate like i had imagined didn't show that early speed and you know going into the turn as long as as long as Juan Hernandez kept uh you know highly distorted straight you know the race was over um i thought it was you know a well-run race but i just uh, i didn't have the winner it's interesting when you look at the race overall in the chart the uh the top five finishers five to one five to two three to one seven to two five to one and then every horse after that is all double digit odds very high high odds so it seems like this is a race that the public got pinpointed very well it's the top five finishers were all five to one or lower like we we're talking about much more halo which ended up being the favorite at five to two five to two maybe the right price for this horse but just it's bob on the wrong surface the horse has had so many tries and now I think it's uh, four seconds and seven starts. This one just seems to always want to be a bridesmaid. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's that's exactly, I mean, you talking about the fact that it's a Bob's horse, that it's, you know, a Bob Baffert horse um, is exactly the issue because, you know, he doesn't really have an issue getting the best out of, um, you know, out of his horses in the afternoon. That horse is almost identical to the four absolute unit who we both played. Um, while they ran very similar races, um, you know, that's, that's the difference between, um, you know, expecting a little bit more out of a Baffert horse than, you know, a horse that we feel is, is getting better out of, you know, in the Urton barn. So, um, you know, there's, there's certain things that you need to as a handicapper that you need to take a stand on, or your tickets are going to be too expensive and you're going to lose money in the long run. So, you know, while, while my opinion was not even remotely correct is I didn't even have the two top finishers. Um, you know, you live to fight another day. I didn't put a $200, $300 ticket in, you know, I played my opinions and, you know, I fired back in the pick four. So, um, you know, you got to live and die with your opinions. Um, uh, and you know, I did that. I just, I kind of wish I would have thrown the six in there because, you know, Tyler Hoffman's one of those guys that, you know, I respect, I respect, you know, very highly. And, you know, I know that he's doing the work, that I'm doing my own and you know he, he saw it and he got it done so um you know it was a great job by him and that's kind of what we alluded to earlier kind of finding that jockey intent and finding those um you know those those gold pieces in in, in a in a haystack that um you know that a lot of people aren't seeing just looking at the pps you wouldn't have gotten to that horse looking at the pps you know you look at that you get to that horse watching the replays and and doing the work um you know, that a lot of people are doing by, you know, just listening to your show, going over, you know, races, you know, that have already happened. So um, that's just one that you, you got to chalk up as a learning experience and, and move forward rather than kicking yourself. Final thought on the race. Number four, absolute unit now is four for four on the turf, but the highest buyer for the, for the career is 76. Ran another 71 in this race. I'm thinking just class relief has got to get down to those claiming ranks. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, you know, there's uh, these five these five furlong sprint races are just, they're just weird right now um, with everything going on. You know, we run five furlong sprint races on the turf that start on the turf and end on the turf at Del Mar. The five and a half furlong sprint races start on the dirt. You know, three jumps and then go to the then go to the turf. Um, and then you know that's only because they don't have the down the hill races. So you know, these trying to get these these turf sprinting um, horses in Southern California into the right races is already pretty difficult. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say class relief needs to happen next time. You know, I might give them one more try on the five for long turf race and see what happens, especially when you had, I mean, there was just no catching this, this winter. Um, and the horse is, is respectable on the turf. Like you said, you know, I mean, this is the fourth time in the money on the turf, never finished out of the money. This is actually the worst performance. If you look at just a, finishing uh, position this is the only time the horse hasn't finished second um in the uh on the turf turf uh course so you know i might give him one more chance but again you know i'm not there in the morning you know i would i would think that peter knows a little bit more about this horse than i do so um I, it's something it's one horse that i would look to include not necessarily play play again but maybe include in the horizontal wager moving forward i didn't think the uh the horse was disrespected you know in the race by any means I tend to agree with you a little bit more. There was something in the last race. It was probably the most talked about race, I would think, for the weekend. Race number 10 at Del Mar. It was a grade two San Diego handicap. One and one sixteen miles on the dirt. It's the return of maximum security. Yeah, I mean, uh, whether or not, you know, what, whatever you think about the horse, it's always nice when, um, you know, the top class, older um, horses, you know, come back especially at, at, at a top level. And, you know, while the San Diego, you know, is not, you know, the Travers and the Pacific Classic or a Breeders' Cup race, it's still nice to see the horse back. It's nice to see, you know, what – it's interesting to see, you know, what the horse is going to look like, not only coming out of the service barn, but coming back from the Saudi race. You know, I, I always kind of give a horse a race coming back from Dubai. So, you know, it was interesting to kind of see what the Saudi races were going to look like when they came back, especially since – Midnight Bisu won her next uh, next uh, start out. So, you know, I looking through the race, I just think I just thought Maximum Security towered over this bunch. Um, even even if you thought the horse was going to regress coming from the service barn, no matter what you think about the indictments and everything going on, kind of about what happened previously with the horse, you know, I mean, the horse is versatile. He can win on the lead. He can win from you know off the pace. The, the figures just tower over this bunch. And then, you know, regardless of what you think of all, all the things that are happening, you know, you, you send the horse to a, a trainer like Baffert, who you, you know, you know, is going to be able to get the horse going. And also, you know, Bob doesn't, you know, we, we had spoken about Mandela kind of racing his horses into shape. Bob doesn't race his horses into shape. He trains them into shape. So when they enter races off the layoff, especially his top-notch horses, you kind of have to assume that they're ready to roll. And, um, you know, if you're looking at the at the PPs on the paper, you get those bullet works going six furlongs. You even get that seven furlong drill in there. Um, and then if you're kind of going off of flesh and how the horse looked in the morning, you kind of flip back to the XBTV workouts, um, and the horse just looks like he's traveling well. It just looked like the horse was, was ready to win. And, you know, I, I'm a big uh southern california fan but i just didn't see 
very much in this race as far as class to beat this, um, to beat Nassim Security. So kind of going through the race, I mean, you, you have that uh, scratch of sharp samurai, so that one's out. I didn't, just don't really like combatant. I kind of like combatant a little bit more on the turf than on the dirt. I'm not really thrilled with any of his races, so that horse was a toss for me. Um, I didn't really understand um, the, all the love for midcourt, so I was kind of playing against midcourt as well. Um, the only the, the other thing with midcourt is, and, and while Victor has obviously won, you know, some of the, the top races, you know, uh, you know, not disrespected with the Triple Crown, the Breeders' Cup Classic, you know, Victor loved to go wide, and I just thought maybe he, he would need to cut a little corner to beat a horse like Maximum Security. So that was another toss for me. The only other horses that I really had any interest in playing outside of Maximum Security was the one higher power and the two Axeman. And the two kind of question marks on there, and I'll kind of just jump right to the two Axeman. And I heard this a lot on TVG, you know, people saying that Axeman was in the race as a rabbit for Maximum Security. But in my opinion, Maximum Security doesn't need a rabbit. Maximum Security can set the pace by himself, and he can also sit off of the, off the pace if he wants. So for me, I thought Max, uh, Axeman was in there to kind of pick up the pieces if, if the race fell apart. So, I mean, I, I just feel like this horse does his best running, maybe not necessarily coming from way off the pace, but, you know, outside of, um, you know, one or two decent performances where he set the pace, I felt like he does his best running coming from off the pace. And I think that's why you get a rider like Mike Smith, because you know that he's going to listen to the instructions, don't go out there early, and he's just going to save the horse, wait for something to collapse, and then come running late. So that's kind of what I thought about Axeman. And so I thought that was kind of more of a defensive play if he needed to go there. And the other one that I like with the one higher power is that the knock on higher power is that I thought higher power needs more distance. Um, kind of wants that mile and a quarter distance. So for that reason, I felt like he was going to kind of sit a little bit further back. You get the Flavian Pratt that I alluded to that doesn't get into speed duels, makes the right decisions. Um, so he can also be kind of one picking up the pieces. But for me, I, I thought the race went through and ended with maximum security. And if maximum security did lose, you know, I was willing to kind of chalk that up as a loss myself on my horizontal picks because I was going to need to go, you know, three or four deep to, to even feel comfortable in this race. Um, so, you know, I, I, I thought on paper, it just looked like if maximum security ran, you know, 90% of what he what he can and what he has run um, that it, everybody else is running for second place. I feel like for me in this race, it was almost kind of like a, uh, like a flow chart, like a little, you know, here's all my dots next to every horse, why they can win, why they can't win. Uh, Axeman, I wanted to play so bad, especially when I saw that he went off at 14 to one. I just, there isn't a race in the PPs that he'd already run that would make him a winner in this. So he had to improve again. I don't know if he's going to improve against the horses of this caliber in this type of race. It's the right spot to try him in it. But I just, even with the raised odds, it was kind of iffy on if he was going to get the right trip. Ever since uh, we had Benny on one of the Daily Gallup live streams, and he talked about how bad combatants race in the San Diego handicap was. I have been just completely anti-combatant. Uh, Sharp Samurai scratched. I've never been a big fan of midcourt. I thought that Victor and uh, John Sheriff's the 74 in the Gold Cup off the layoff wasn't amazing. Now second time off. Just 25% off the layoff, $2.49 ROI for Sheriff. So the guy does know how to get one ready off the layoff. 
I was not. I have not touched anything out of the service barn or the Jorge Navarro barn. People were putting security in second for the classic already, and they hadn't seen this horse run a since Saudi. B, since coming out of an indicted barn, I just could not believe it. I didn't understand it. At least let the horse win a race or run a good second before we're going to anoint him like the next uh, gun runner, per se. For me, I ended up on the number one higher power. The fact that you make about the distance is a very good point in uh, looking back at it. I just thought that if I didn't want security, I had a bunch of knocks on the others. This is kind of like the only other horse I could really go for. Uh, from a wagering perspective, where were you going in here? Were you still alive in your pick four? Did you do anything vertically? And what was your pick in the Daily Gallop contest? I was alive in the pick four. Um, I singled maximum security on everything, and I played maximum, secu- maximum security in the contest. And my main thought on that was, you know, and again, I'm it's kind of alluding to, um, you know, a conversation that I had with JK about um, – about contest plays and whether or not you're playing the favorite or a long shot and, you know, $4 in a, you know, or four fifty five dollars um, that goes a long way in a, uh, in a $2 mythical win place contest, whereas the daily gallop win place show that can go a long way in the long run. I see a lot of people that lose by a dollar 60 cents, a dollar 80, $2. That's a show. That's a, a place price or a favorite that you thought couldn't lose. Um, mm-hmm. while I didn't think that maximum security couldn't lose, there was just too many question marks for me to, to pick somebody else. And I thought that that would be more of a stab than, uh, um, than an actual selection. So I just played maximum security. Um, I figured, you know, there wasn't going to be a bomb here. Um, and he would have to miss the board completely to, um, to make those kind of, uh, place and show prices, um, really paid the, to the point where it was going to hurt me in a contest. For me, like I said, I was the number one higher power. Let's see if Maximum Security's return to the races is a winning one here in the Grade 2 San Diego Handicap right now. They're off in the San Diego, and it was not a good start for Combatant who hopped in the air at the break, and Maximum Security goes immediately to the early lead. Midcourt is sent along after him, though, so some early company for Maximum Security into that first turn. Midcourt clings to him on the outside, second higher power is third, X-Man fourth, and the trailer on that first turn is Combatant. So they make their way around the turn to the back stretch, and now it will be midcourt to take over after a 23.74 opening quarter mile. And higher power has moved up on the outside, and maximum security is now two and a half lengths off of them as they enter the back stretch. He's lost ground to these top two. Then comes Axeman back there running in fourth position, and combatant trails the field. Up the back stretch in the San Diego handicap, midcourt is the leader on top by two. Higher power is second, maximum security third, and now being nudged along to go as they make their way into the far turn. The half mile was 46.87 seconds, so into the turn they go with midcourt the leader by two and a half lengths. Maximum security under pressure on the outside, now takes second. Higher power comes under a ride, starts to backpedal in third. Axeman is fourth, combatant trying to make up some ground from the back of the pack. 
Coming toward the top of the stretch, midcourt is the leader. Maximum security trying hard, a length and a half behind, and they're into the stretch. And it's midcourt off the turn. Maximum security comes up to him on the outside. Axeman is down the center, higher power and combatant. Maximum security still has to get by midcourt. Midcourt fighting him all the way down to the wire. Maximum security has the lead. Midcourt, it's going to be a photo finish. Was it maximum security? Was it midcourt? And maximum security makes it a winning one, paying 280 to win. The buyer was 101. Thoughts on the race, Sean? Yeah, I mean, there's kind of a lot of knocks kind of on the race. Um, you know, maximum security just broke like a shot out of the out of the, uh, out of of the the gate. And truthfully, I, you know, I'm not naive enough to say, oh, well, the race is over. Um, but I didn't think anybody would really go with them. Once that happened, it looked like he had like a two-length lead. Um, then Victor, I would imagine it was exactly the, um, you know, the instructions in the paddock from John Sheriff's, you know, go to the lead. Because um, that's the, the best running that that horse does is on the lead. Um, so, you know, he didn't let maximum security do anything. And this is where I thought it got really interesting. Because um, if you've been following Del Mar for the past, you know, this past weekend, let's say, the rail, I wouldn't say is dead. Um, it's significantly slower. Um, and, and just kind of, this is obviously, you know, redboarding even even more. But if you look back at the next day on Sunday in race two, uh, there was a, a mile race. And the two pace setters in that race were no closer than three or four paths out and never came over. Um, and those were specific instructions um, from the barn. To, to never go to the rail um, just because it's been dead. So, you know, I thought at that point, Abel's got, um, he's got a decision to make, you know, do you let midcourt pin you on the rail um, and, and, and kind of sit there or do you push through on the dead rail or do you check out of it and try to get to the outside to a, to a place that was, that was running better and ran better even, even the next uh, day after races so i thought in my opinion that he made the right move to check out of there get to the outside let maximum security who is the best horse in the race do his running out there and on top of that flavian made a tremendous decision to see all of this happen and make it even more difficult for able to check out of there if flavian doesn't make that middle move to come up to midcourt and victor's hip Abel does just a kind of nice, easy checkout that we've seen Flavian do. We've seen Mike Smith do. We've seen Drayden do. Um, the kind of that winning move of let let me get out of this rail. Let let's let this little speed ball go, and we'll, we'll we'll do our best running, you know, on the outside. And he had to he had to make up. He had to check almost three to four lengths out of it, and then that's where you kind of see. I don't think Abel got you know nervous and panicked, but you see him kind of tap. Uh, maximum security on the shoulder to say, Hey, you know, these, these horses are, are decent horses. We need to, you know, get in gear and get, get more connected. And I thought that was the winning move. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, on Twitter, are not, not fond of that move. Um, but I feel like if he pushes through that, they, they start going, you know, 22 and change 40, 45 and change. And that's where we're going to see, a, you know, the higher power and the ax man come, you know, to pick up the pieces. Cause I don't think either one of those horses are doing the running that they did down the stretch. If Abel 
you know, doesn't take that move and, and, and tries to push through and doesn't let Victor put the pressure on him. Cause I don't think Victor was ever letting up. Um, so, you know, I, I thought, I thought Abel did his best job of, you know, kind of utilizing that, that uh, mythical crystal ball to say, Hey, I don't want to get in this speed duel. I'm on the best horse. Let me check out of there. Even if it's going to cost me ground. Um, obviously he didn't know Flavian was going to kind of make it more difficult on him. And the other thing that was kind of interesting was it almost looked like Abel knew he had a measured late in the race. It almost looked like he put the stick away and went to a hand ride. And while the, you know, Midcourt got a great bob at the end, it almost looked like he just kind of knew that this horse was going to win maybe a hundred yards out. Um, so I, I thought it was a big effort for maximum security. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he runs coming out of this race. Cause I think there, I think a, a little bit, I think there was a little bit more taken out of his tank than Bob kind of had hoped um, going into this race. I thought, I think he had kind of hoped that he would save a little bit more for the Pacific classic. Cause you're going to get a little bit longer distance. Um, and you might get, a, you know, a, a heavier field with some, uh, some invaders coming to, to, to take them down. So I, I thought it was an interesting race and I'm, I'm really interested coming out of this. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, you know, Abel got the ride because science couldn't come over from, from Saratoga. Uh And there was the other thing that people were talking about on Twitter was, you know, that Abel's not going to retain the mount, but the next, the next, uh, the next entry for this horse is most likely going to be the TVG Pacific classic. And, um, odds are science is still going to be in Saratoga for that. So I would imagine Abel keeps the ride there. And then, uh, maybe goes back to size in the breeders cup or, you know, we'll see maybe, uh, maybe if, uh, maximum security runs a big effort able able keeps them out you know uh it's hard to take take a jockey off of a horse if if the you know if and when the case that he's you know two for two on the horse going into the brutus deposit i feel like i made the the two right calls combatant again had a rough trip out of the gate axe man i just don't think it's good enough for this type of competition higher power second choice seven to two just couldn't get the right trip i thought like you had said able with a nice heads up ride the horse that I was wrong about was the second place horse midcourt. Let's uh let's leave the podcast on this question. Do you think maximum security should be at the top of the Breeders' Cup Classic list coming into this week? You know, I I I'm, I might be the wrong person to ask on that. I don't put too much weight in rankings. I don't make my own rankings. I like to handicap races as they present themselves. Um so, you know, outside of the Kentucky Derby rankings, which are important because that's what gets you in the gate, you know, I just don't put too much weight on it. Um, for me, I would say it's, it's, a, it's a tough question. I, I would say no, only because I, I want to see more out of them. Um, while I was impressed with the race, just because I thought the move that Victor did and the move that Flavian did kind of put him against the eight ball and, 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 and you know, put him in, you know, that rock and a hard pace place where Abel had to make that decision to give up that ground. Um, so I, I'm just interested to see, you know, how he comes out of the race for the next time. And, you know, who, who knows what, um, you know, what the end of the year looks like with, with a lot of these horses, whether, you know, they're, they're coming into form or, you know, their form was better in, in the previous year. Um, so, you know, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing them race. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm a typical horse, horse player, horse fan. I just, I can't wait to see him line up in the gate again. Can't wait for those PPs to be printed so I can make my notes and, you know, like a kid on Christmas, um, you know, Breeders' Cup Day or Pacific Classic Day or um, 
So I'm just I'm just looking forward to the races being ran and and let the smarter people come up with the ra- rankings for me. I'm sure you and me both, growing up as as kids, never thought our favorite thing to do would be watching animals run around in a circle making left turns like NASCAR. <laughs> or doing any kind of math. Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> That's pretty much all the time we have for today. I'd love to uh, thank my guest, Sean Alvarez, for taking time out of his day to come hang out with me on Redboard Rewind. Sean, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, I'm on I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at Smooth Turn uh, at Smooth Turn Two uh, Smooth Turn the number two on Twitter. Thanks so much for being on. Hope to have you on again soon. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate I appreciate it. I, uh, you're welcome to have me back anytime you want, buddy. Thanks to all the great fans for listening to this show and my special guest Sean Alvarez. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Nowhere to hide from all the things.